Bienvenidos. You're listening to Las Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm your host, Julieta Cosnid, and on tonight's program, our very own Nina Serrano speaks with Eva Martinez, and they discuss their editorial journey into the world of publishing El Tecolote's newspaper's first anthology of bilingual poetry highlighting Mission District poets with a foreword by the Poet Laureate of the U.S., Juan Felipe Herrera. We also bring you an interview with Juana Alicia around her latest show, Justicia Poetica, Poetic Justice, that will be premiering later this month. All this and much more, stay tuned. This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. My guest today is librarian, archivist at the South San Francisco Public Library, writer, and former executive director of Acción Latina, Eva Martinez. I've invited Eva today because we are celebrating the publication of our new anthology, a project we've been working on for the last seven years. Eva, bienvenido. Tell everyone about this. Thank you, Nina. It's a joy to be here with you. The anthology is called Poetry in Flight, Poesia in Velos, Anthology in Celebration of El Tecolote. And I think I have to go back to the beginning of how this project even came to be. And that was in 2010, when I was the executive director of Acción Latina. Uh, We were celebrating the 35th year of El Tecolote newspaper. And for those of you that don't know, it's the longest running bilingual newspaper in the Southwest. And we had planned a series of events that year. One was a beautiful edition of El Tecolote that was filled with poetry. And the cover featured art by Juan Arfuentes, uh, artist, local artist, and also someone who had been on the staff of Tecolote in the early days. And we did that special edition because it was to honor the literary history of El Tecolote. In the 80s, it had a quarterly literary supplement that was edited by, among other people, Francisco X. Alacón. And that was very important space because at that time there was no internet, or there was, but there wasn't public access to it. So that supplement provided important publishing space for Latino writers, which was far and wide in between, right? So we published that special newspaper as a result of a committee coming together under Francisco X. Arlecon's direction. And that included yourself, Nina, me, Francisco, Alfonso Texidor, and Estela de la Cruz. And so we made a call. We got a ton of poetry submissions. And the Tecolote staff designed this beautiful newspaper with art in it, too. And that was in July of 2010. After that, we decided we were going to produce a book, a hard copy book featuring poetry. But then our first obstacle happened, and that was I left Acción Latina to work on my own, and the committee dissolved, basically, but with a promise that we would get back together. We were all committed to this project of doing the book. Okay, so that was in 2010. A lot of things were happening in everyone's lives. People were getting and losing jobs, starting and ending relationships. A lot was happening, and we thought it would just be a short respite before we'd come together and publish the anthology. Right. And one year turned into two, two years turned into four, and then we had a tragedy happen. You're referring to the passing of 
Alfonso Texador. Yes, Alfonso. And most people know that he was connected to El Tecolote. Well, he was our calendario editor. And he did that with amazing skill and grace and made sure that it was a wide variety of things listed in the calendario. I mean, he was such an integral part of Tecolote. So to see him become more ill and pass on Christmas Day was devastating to to all the Tecolote people, but also to our committee. And it was the shock that galvanized us to reform and vow once again that we were going to publish this book. Yes. And thank goodness that we had the amazing skill and guidance of Francisco, because I think without him, I remember, in fact, when we first made the call for the newspaper and all these poems came in and I was there at the office collecting them. And I don't know if you remember the table with hundreds and hundreds of poems on it. And I was just overwhelmed. I didn't even know where to start. But Francisco came in and said, well, this is how we're going to do it. He was amazing. We were overwhelmed by stacks and stacks of paper. That must have been six or eight feet long table that was pretty high with poetry. He said, we're going to decide on the themes and put them in piles by themes. And we decided on the themes. I don't remember what they were because in poetry, they're really, no matter what kind of poetry, there are just a very limited number of of themes, love, family, death, nature, right. politics, etc. Right. That gave us a way to begin getting them into those piles. Then there were the yes, no, maybe piles. And that took meeting after meeting to go through right. yes, no, and maybe. And that was for the newspaper edition. So after Alfonsito passed in early 2015, we knew we had to come back together. The committee had to meet again. So we did. And your home was often the place of our meetings. Yes, and my husband would cook us wonderful dinners. Oh, thank goodness for him. (laughs) That's when we recruited Harold Terrazon to join the committee. So it was the four of us, Francisco, you, myself, and Harold. And there again, we made another call. We got over 200 because I tracked the poetry and made the Excel chart. We got over 200 submissions. And once again, Francisco put his magic and led us through that. But even then, it took a long time because we carefully evaluated every single poem. Uh, This was not a fast process by any means. No. Each poem really got at least three read-aloud reviews. Right, right. And so that was uh, 2015, and as we neared the end of the year, we had selected the poems, we had ranked them, we were about ready to notify the poets. Then Francisco tells us, informs us that he is ill. And within two weeks... Within two weeks... He dies. Yes, We were stunned, paralyzed, shocked. The whole community was, really. Maybe you could say the last time he read at that gathering at La Boheme for him. Well, it was within those two weeks, it was within two days of his actual death, I think, that a poetry reading was organized at La Boheme coffee shop in the heart of the mission, and... 
all the poets came there there was to say standing room only was an understatement you really could barely stand it was so crowded and each person got up and read their poem for him but more special was that he who could not stand up at this point but from his seated position read his poems to us facing a screen and on the screen were projected the words of his poem so that he could read it and the poem was called viva la vida because that was francisco mm-hmm. who loved life right to the end and he was surrounded by his family members who assisted him because he would get tired and as he informed the audience he was going to have to leave before the event was over and there were more poems to be read to him but he had to leave because he had a a blood changing or blood thinning uh need that he had to go back and and he left and there was the awareness of in the room that perhaps we had just seen him for the very last mm-hmm. time and his contributions to poetry and to latino poetry in the united states was something so huge and so powerful right you know i was heartsick cuz i didn't make that event because i had um a personal thing happened the night before and i hadn't gotten hardly any sleep and i i couldn't even talk about it for a week but then i thought about the meetings at your house and how he would come in usually with a bottle of wine or i'd arrive and he'd be at the table smiling and you know i'm happy that that's my last vision of him yes and to get to those meetings he had to drive from Davis California to Oakland right right which he did yeah which he did because he was devoted to poetry and poetry of the people we on this call around on this version of the anthology process uh we got some pretty high level poems in yes. that many of the people who submitted were teachers of creative writing and their poetry was very very developed but francisco insisted that in the criteria we leave room for the true voice of the community the untutored poet the poet writing from the heart which we did mm-hmm. we did so his contribution as the people's poet was tremendous and for me the thrill at those meetings was that i got to read to francisco the poem that i wrote for him mm-hmm. and that poem grew out of his telling us that he was waiting for this phone call for the from the governor because there was the possibility he was going to be the poet laureate mm-hmm. of california but at that last meeting at la boheme he announced that he did get the call from the governor's office saying that he would not be the poet laureate of california but instead a republican had been picked for me it was very shocking the idea of a republican poet though seemed like oxymoron <laughs> i i'd never met a republican poet but that didn't really hinder francisco 
he told that as a joke. Mm-hmm. He told that as a joke because he knew that his poetry would live on with or without titles. Right. He's the people's poet laureate. Yes. Forever he yes. will be that. Yes. So how did we go from the death of Francisco, which was totally paralyzing, mm-hmm. to the announcement that on March 19th, we are having our release party for Poetry in Flight, Poesia en Vuelos, at Acción Latina. Well, that's the last leg of our journey, right? So then it was you and Harold and myself. You know, it's kind of a blur to me. It's funny. This last period is kind of a blur to me. But we just said, we really have to do this now. We have to contact all the poets, have them have a good look at their poetry to make sure everything's correct. We got the releases. I mean, it was a ton of work that we've actually accomplished in this last leg. We're able to get Juan Fuentes to commission him to do this beautiful cover. We were able to get... Adrian Arias to design the book for us and to color the cover because the original cover by Juan Fuentes was in black and white. Right. But Adrian colored the cover. Gorgeous. Gorgeously. Yeah. Yeah, It's beautiful. Yes. I would laugh or, well, not laugh. I would actually feel bad because I kept having to send emails out to the poet saying, well, we're not quite ready yet. I know I announced that we would be. And I think I did that about four or five times. But, you know, these poets have been so understanding and so supportive. I get emails back like, yes, we know. We know we've lost our mentor, Francisco. We understand. And, you know, I got a lot of love from them. 56 poets and 69 poems. So it's a lot of poets and a lot of poetry. And we wanted a really worthy introduction to this. And so we were able to enlist the support of Juan Felipe Herrera, the poet laureate of the United States, who wrote the most beautiful introduction. And I'll read you some excerpts because he actually tells the story of the literary history of the Latino movement. This is from Juan Felipe Herrera, Poet Laureate of the United States. Teco Poetas from La Misión Will and Shall Continue by Juan Felipe Herrera. All I have is deep love for this El Tecolote anthology, It has been a long, brave, flowering, organizing road of dedicated, rough-cut, change-maker poets, artists, and writers without a home once upon a time until they found their sole roots in the offices of El Tecolote newspaper, bilingual and revolutionary, in the Frida Kahlo flame-rising heart of La Misión. That's right. Many writers traveled this road many decades ago. Way before Latino Writers in the Mission in 1887, we had the Mexican writer Miguel Prieto, who wrote Viajes a los Estados Unidos, downtown San Francisco after visiting Chinatown and jotting the price of the dishes. He stepped into a bar, frowned and grimaced, jumped back when he noticed a Mexicano with his chipped boots on the table, his swarthy, pockmarked face, prickly mustache, whiskey in hand, and tilted chicharron-shaped sombrero. Ayancado, he said, an Americanized brown. 
he was becoming aware that things were changing, that we were all changing. But was he right? Ayan Gadol? Guess who was the monster thinker, volcanic editor, boundless energy dynamo that pulled us poets and artists into the El Teco revolution? In addition to Juan Gonzalez and the groovy staff, yes, correct, Francisco X. Arlacón. Pancho had the bad habit of being an effervescent, magnetic innovator. We had just come back from Mexico City where he explored with the nerviest idea that in that boiling cauldron of artists and editors to put together the first U.S. Latino poetry art and essay insert, El Suplemento Literario for the Mega Periodical, Mexico's Excelsior newspaper with work from writers in La Misión, a West Coast emphasis and national antennae. Pancho followed up. Let's do a suplemento for El Teco. What do you think? That's all we needed to hear. And boom, bam, buzz, El Teco Literario emerged from the paisley. The Juan Tepican bowels of the Ayancado and Ayancada. Many artists, poets from La Misión published and many from Latin America. Francisco, our dear literary leader, passed away last year. Now we are here with this magnificent anthology, a tribute to him and a culmination of many generations, a long line of cantos, songs, experiments, and poems. Carry this book with your life. It is made of many lives. Those were excerpts from Juan Felipe Herrera in his foreword to our new anthology, Poesia in Vuelos, Poetry in Flight. Eva, how can people get a copy of the book? Well, it's going to be released on March 19th, and we're having a launch party, as you mentioned earlier. It's going to be at uh, the offices of Acción Latina El Tecolote at 2958 24th Street on Sunday, March 19th from 2 to 5. You can buy a copy there. You can also email... Uh, vuelospoesia at gmail.com. So if you want to pre-order the book, you can email vuelospoesia at gmail.com. That's V-U-E-L-O-P-O-E-S-I-A at gmail.com. Orders of 10 or more will receive a 10% discount. And the reason we're offering books in that discounted number, 10 at a time, is because we think this is a book that belongs in the classroom, that educators should find ways to incorporate it into their curriculum because it has some of the best Latino writing out there. And at this particular time, the Latino voice when it's being so defamed by the president of the country, is a very powerful and important voice that should be heard. Yes, and the themes are diverse. There's themes on equality, inclusion, freedom, social justice, gender identity, gentrification, and more. So these writers, you could tell that they're just writing from their heart and addressing a number of issues, even though... I would say um, probably all of these poems were written before the catastrophe that we have now in the White House. But for the Latino community, there has been a buildup of 
anti-Latino rhetoric exactly. in the country and deportations. So that's one of the reasons. And also the great gentrification moves that were happening and, and still are in San Francisco right. and all over the country that inspired so many of these poems. So we hope to see you there on March 19th at Acción Latina at our book party. Yes, please come. And if you buy a book, many of the poets will be there reading, so you could get it signed by them. We'll also have some uh, activities. Children are welcome. Please come. Well, thank you so much, Eva Martinez. Thank you, Nina. Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza. I'm Julieta Kusnir, and today we are very lucky to have one of our favorite artists in the studio. We have with us Juana Alicia, along with being a world-renowned muralist and artist. She's also an incredible instructor and changemaker who has transformed discourse through her art. Muchísimas gracias, Juana Alicia, for all the work you've done and for joining us here today. Gracias, Julieta. Un placer. Juan Alicia, so we have this wonderful excuse to have you in, which is this great exhibit that is going to be launching very soon. It's going to have its opening 
just around the corner, actually at the end of this month, but there's going to be a great party at the beginning of March, so that's exciting. I'm talking about Poetic Justice, Justicia Poetica. It's a really a beautiful look at the history of your art making and some of the stories you've told on such a grand scale. So first off, congratulations. This Thank is a you. really exciting time because it's a time to really honor some of the work that you've done. I think a great way for people to understand the legacy of your art because it's truly everywhere and many people who don't even realize they love your art do because <laughs> they just don't maybe associate your name with these great pieces. For me, one of the pieces that has called me and really speaks to me and I can go back to on a weekly basis and I discover something else about it and it really has informed for me so much of understanding about intersectionality and the connections str between struggles is your piece La Llorona Sacred Waters which is a York and 24th and it is just a huge scale and tells so many stories so why don't you tell us a little bit about this piece yeah thank you Julieta well the work uh, La Llorona Sacred Waters is a piece of uh, narrative magical realism to borrow from Isabel Allende and um, uh, the magical real tradition of uh, Latin America, I feel like I follow in their footsteps uh, with um, paint. And for me, a mural is an unfolding of a story like a film, but all on one surface, all at once. So the story of La Llorona Sacred Waters is really the story of the waters of the world. It's about women, water, and globalization. And it focuses on a central character, but I try to move the eye around. But with the movement of water, everything from steam or ocean waves, rivers, cascades, fog, clouds, etc., that move your eye around the 70-foot um, by 30-foot tall surface. And I kept the palette very trichromatic, very limited. So it's blue and red for the most part, with grays and blacks and whites. And it's the story of beginning with Chalchihuilicue, which is the goddess of the water from Priestec Teotihuacan. She was the consort or sister of Tlaloc, the Aztec god of the rain, less known, but still very important. She's the central figure uh, holding forth over the other actions that span the world from India's Narmada River, where the World Bank scandalously attempted to build a, a boondoggle dam that drove people out of their traditional homes along the river. And these indigenous Indian people were forced to be relocated to desert areas. There was a big protest around that and ultimately um, some victories. From the Narmada River on the far left all the way to the border of Mexico with the U.S. at Juarez specifically with um, the mothers of the disappeared women who've been over 500 femicides murdered in the desert around Juarez and El Paso, but on the Mexican side, unsolved murders of young women working in the sweatshops or the maquilas, and those are in the background. Um, the women are carrying photos of their daughters in protest of this international scandal. And then in between the waters of the Chinampas of Tlalpan and Xochimilco in southern Mexico City and the water victory that was brought forth by the people of Cochabamba, Bolivia, uh, who threw out Bechtel Corporation, which is uh, located in San Francisco, and the uh, uh, Bechtel uh, fat cat with a goblet full of water is falling from the dam with a 
Bechtel logo on his, the soles of his shoes, although I've altered it so they can't sue me. And the, the women of um, Cochabamba, Bolivia, throwing stones at him. In Cochabamba, the people were able to throw out the corporation that had been selling their own water back to them at their yearly income and bring about democratic revolution, bringing in the first indigenous president of Bolivia, uh, Evo Morales, whose term is just about ending now. And then the, the figure for whom the mural is named, La Llorona, is an iconic female figure in Mexican folklore and history among the three most important ones, um, La Malinche, uh, La Virgen de Guadalupe, and La Llorona. It means the crying woman, and she was um, given the blame for the mixed-race culture of the conquest in Mexico. Her story is that she um, falls in love with a Spanish, Spanish dignitary or Spanish lord who's come to her small town, and they have three children together. And then he leaves town and returns with a Spanish damsel on his arm. And um, in a fit of jealousy and rage, she drowns her three children in the river and then spends the rest of eternity searching the riverbanks for her lost children, the children of really what was in many cases rape and conquest, right? Um, wasn't a a happy marriage in, in most cases, and certainly it wasn't the women's fault. So I've sort of reclaimed her figure as um, many Chicana and Latina feminists had in the 80s and 90s. And she's reaching out her hand to the next mixed-race child, and she has her one of her children under her arm. So she's saved him from the waters. Um, mostly this image sees water as our ally, but it also can be foreboding in terms of when we become out of balance with our environment. That's the voice of Juana Alicia. I'm Julieta Kusnir, and you're listening to La Raza Chronicles. We are very lucky to have Juana Alicia with us because this is an important time where we get to see some of her pieces and actually get to hear her stories behind the pieces because many people walk by her pieces, whether it's the women's building in San Francisco or hundreds other murals that are all over the Bay Area and many that are taught around the world. So they know the murals, but they don't get to hear directly from you. And this is something that is going to be a great opportunity because along with being someone who has used art to create change and to tell stories, you've also developed a whole generation of future artists through your classes and through the work you've done in community. So Juan Alicia, tell us about Justicia Poetica. Tell us about Poetic Justice. This is going to be a beautiful showcase of some of your work. Tell us about some of the other pieces or some of the different opportunities people will have to experience your art in a different way through this exhibit. Thank you, Julieta. Yeah, I just wanted to mention the women's building as a side note there. That wasn't my sole creation, but actually a collaboration with six other sisters in paint and a hundred other women volunteers. And it was um, symbolic and and visually uniting the uh, collaborative efforts of women, Miranda Bergman, Edith Boone, Susan Cervantes, Mira Desai, Irene Perez, and Yvonne Littleton, along with myself. And the works that I'm going to be featuring at Justicia Poetica, or the Poetic Justice, at the Center for Latino Policy Research on the UC Berkeley campus, which is part of the inauguration of their opening of their building as, as solely theirs, um, and sort of the... Uh, baptism christening moment where uh, the doors open and uh, the place is draped with artwork. 
and uh, also uh, blessed with the presence of uh, Dignidad Rebelde, Melanie Cervantes and uh, Jesus Barraza, who will be doing a day-long workshop, and um, Ray Telles, who's uh, the wonderful Chicano filmmaker, who will be also presenting on his work, and I'll be giving a, a talk later in the in the month as well. Thank you for asking about the the nature of the images. So a lot of them will be paintings and studies for murals, and some of them will be original large paintings of their own. Everything will be original. I'll have prints for sale there as well, and I'll also um, be featuring collaboration with um, Dirso Araiza, my partner in crime and in life, who has written a beautiful book called La Ixtabay, which is another about another iconic Mexican woman in this case from the Yucatan Peninsula, from the Mayan tradition. And she too is uh, one of those women who haunt the night and uh, snatch you if you're not behaving sort of thing like the Yorona is rumored to do. But she she has her roots in the, in the magical seva tree, the sacred tree of the Mayan people and of the Caribbean and also parts of Africa. And the book Tirso has written about La Ixtabay is taking the folk tales that surround her and turning them in so, into sort of like, to my mind, he may say something else, but a sort of an eco-feminist tale that celebrates sensuality and the body and our connections to nature and birth and death. And I've begun to illustrate uh, his book, and so we'll have some quotations from his book as on the walls as well as my illustrations of, of those moments. Uh, we're, we're working on the book. It'll be trilingual in Spanish, English, and Maya, Yucatec Mayan. So there's no deadline and so far no funding, but um, we've been lyrically collaborating on this for a couple of years, and we hope to have it out maybe in another year or two. That is so exciting, Juan Alicia. So along with some of your large murals where there'll be studies of, so people will get a sense of what these larger stories are, and along with other paintings that you're having, you'll also have incorporating images and illustrations with texts, with Tirsio's texts. So that's, that's, great. that's really wonderful. So this is a really unique opportunity. This is something I haven't really heard you share um, in other exhibits. So that's that's a very unique opportunity people need to jump on because may miss their chance until the premiere of the book. So told us a little bit about some of the types of art you'll be showcasing as people probably now understand your art is a lot more than just what meets the eye. There are a lot of stories and a lot of research. Many, many ancestors and many, many stories from many generations are captured through your images. So it's not just Let's talk about what's happening right now with Trump. It's getting incorporating much more of a, a story of beyond the 500 years of struggle and looking past and looking forward. So that kind of brings me to my next question, which is right now people are feeling very overwhelmed. They're feeling like they don't have a lot of power. And sometimes in these moments we forget how crucial art truly is because um, we can just think, you know, we just need to get to the streets, do something urgent, but we forget the power that art can have. You've been de so dedicated to this work. It's been many, many years of your dedication. How do you see the role of art at this moment? Well, thank you, Julieta, for being able to um, concisely describe my work that way. It, it was beautiful what you said, and uh, would you like to write the preface for the book? <laughs> but I have to say that I'm, I'm profoundly saddened by the fact that, you know, the marches we participated in in the 60s and Chicano Moratorium and the, you know, protests against the Vietnam War and for abortion rights and, you know, marching with the farm workers who right now are confronting 
goons in Fresno who are scooping people up. The, the military police complex is obviously feeling emboldened by the actions of this you know, presidential terrorist. But I have to say that I do agree that, you know, sort of with the Chinese proverb that, you know, a crisis is an opportunity in the making. Also, to paraphrase um, Nina Simone as well, um, she talks about the role of the artist. And um, I think she, you know, came out with this statement probably many times in her life, but in the 70s about, you know, how we've been through many, many difficult times. And it's now when the artist needs to get activated. It's in these times of crisis that we need to jump up and um, be vibrant and um, inspire each other and support each other. And so, you know, this is a time for us to celebrate the unity of our skills and our theory and to really, you know, apply our most celebratory, creative moments to the difficult times that we're immersed in. You know, I'm, I've been enjoying it the last couple of protests that I've been at in the last couple of weeks, the street art that happens, the creativity of the signs, the literature that's getting developed. I know the New York Times is sponsoring a poetry contest about Trump right now. You know, there's all kinds of uh, writing contests and collaborations that are going on across the Internet. And I also think that our work internationally is very important because, you know, what's going on in Mexico is nothing but the mirror reflection of what's happening here and the collusion between the Mexican government and the radical right of this one is clear. And so we have to think beyond borders as as always and look at an international movement of solidarity like the moments that we experienced in 1968 when, you know, the whole world sort of immediately took to the streets. And I'm so grateful to and inspired by the protests that have gone on all around the world and the statements even from people like Angela Merkel, who, you know, the governments around the world that see the outrage of what's going on here because it is an ascension to or a dissension to uh, fascism that we need to stop. I'm speaking with Juan Alicia, world-renowned muralist, artist, and educator. We're talking about poetic justice. The art of Juan Alicia, she will be having a show, an exhibit, at the new home for the Center of Latino Policy Research, which is at UC Berkeley. So it's on Channing Way, and it's going to be premiering at the end of this month, but you only have about a month to catch some of the great programming that's happening in conjunction with the art that will be displayed. You mentioned that Dignidad Reverde, so Melanie Cervantes and Jesus Barraza will be offering a day-long, is it a printmaking workshop? Yeah, it's um, a hands-on workshop doing silkscreen with those two wonderful artists. And, you know, they've had their finger or their thumb on the pulse of what's what's been happening in the news for a decade or so themselves, you know, and come from beautiful tradition of people like, you know, Juan Fuentes and Rupert Garcia and others that really put the news on the posters that we can access as community. I saw Melanie Cervantes speak recently at the Center for Political Education's event around a teach-in around uh, political actions in the time of Trump. And something that Melanie said that I think 
resonates so well with the history of your art is talking about how this really all goes down to land and autonomy and having control over our stories and telling more complete stories that are battling against settler colonialism that's happened here forever and fighting and and really looking at connections between indigenous rights and our current issues and really seeing everything as an indigenous struggle and that's something that's so apparent in your work in the way that you lift up the fact that you know the story doesn't start with the Mayflower and doesn't start with you know the Spanish coming to California and you tell a much more complete story and the programming continues in that same vein with Ray Theus who is a filmmaker who's also dedicated himself to telling a more complete story of our histories and of those who are often left out of history books and right now actually being banned from many stories and many history books all over the country you know these are important Latino artists of our time they're really people who are really leaving their mark and giving more of an opportunity for everyone to understand themselves better and understand how they can change the world better. So tell us a little bit about what will be happening and the dates and more the specifics. Okay. Um, well, the date of the opening for my show is, well, it opens February 27th, but the reception is actually March 3rd. It's a first Friday, so we planned it early on. So it's going to start at 5 You'll have time to come by and get food and drink and see all the work and then hustle on down the road to Oakland for for First Friday. And then the next event is on International Women's Day, March 8th, with Dignidad Rebelde, radical poster making for collective liberation. And I'm hoping to be there all day. I think it's really a wonderful opportunity for everyone to get their hands a little dirty and their hearts a little elevated. And then on Friday, March 10th, I'll be giving a little charlita and invite everybody to come on down and let's have a conversation. You know, I'll, I'll do a little bit of a presentation and then it's a dialogue. And then uh, to wrap up this whole long floricanto, and I, you know, I really want to thank Director Patricia and um, the event coordinator uh, Javier at the Center for Latino Policy Research. They've been doing a beautiful job of putting this all together, and hats off to them. Um, and to Lupe Diaz and all the people at uh, Cal that have really worked to pull this uh, house together and then all this whole Festival de Cultura. And then on uh, March 23rd at 5 p.m., uh, Ray Tellez will be doing his presentation, a talk and a film screening. Tell us how people can find out more if they want to share this event and they want to send the website to a friend or they want to make sure it's on their calendar that they didn't miss anything. They're in the car now. How Where people, can people go to find out more? Well, certainly they could go to my website, juanalicia.com, or just go to my Facebook page, Friend Me. It's on social media. I know we'll have flyers and posters, 2547 Channing Way. Uh, oh, one more thing I did want to add is that following this exhibit, I'll be having another exhibit uh, sort of back-to-back with another set of wonderful allies at Acción Latina in San Francisco at the Juan Fuentes Gallery, which is also the home of El Tecolote. So that exhibit will go from April 15th to the end of May. It'll be slightly different. That's such a beautiful space. And what's so nice, it's so intimate. So you really get to get close to the art. And they've also redoing the backyard. So Acción Latina, if people haven't been to the the Juan Fuentes Gallery, it's really incredible. The space is transformed. It Uh, is quite beautiful, yeah. Well, muchísimas gracias, Juan Alicia. We really appreciate your time, and thank you so much for sharing with us a little bit of the backstories of your beautiful pieces that I think stay in people's minds and haunt them in many ways, because I, I know that 
my friends and I, we always have to keep going back, keep going back, which mm. is, that's how you really know that the art is speaking to you on more of a heart level, not just a head level. So thank you so much for all your work. Go check this. We need that. The KPFA Apprenticeship Program is an 18-month program to train underrepresented voices in the complete gamut of radio production and broadcasting. The Apprenticeship Program is open now for new applications in the month of February 2017. My name's Darlene Pagano, and I'm here with Laura Echeverai. And we wanted to give you some information about the program and have you consider going through this amazing training. Laura, hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Great. Tell folks a little bit about why you decided to go ahead and apply for the apprenticeship program. Well, I thought that I had a story to tell, that I had an urge to say some things you know, I was born in Puerto Rico, and when I was growing up, I was told that I should be proud to be an American citizen. But when I moved to the mainland, I became an immigrant, to my surprise. And I was treated as such even at government agencies. So I, I'm i on a mission to create awareness about what has been happening in Puerto Rico for the past 119 years and to gather support for our current struggle with the results of this 119 years of heartless colonialism. And I urge anybody else out there who has a story to tell to consider joining this program because it's going to be amazing the kinds of things that you can learn and you can do for you and your community. Yes, it's a great privilege to actually be on the airwaves on KPFA since we do reach all of Northern California. Laura, we've been in this program now since June of 2016. What aspects of the program have you already been through? We learned to use the station's equipment, the sound editing software. You probably heard our voice already on the air we are producing the public service announcements. We're producing the community calendar. We're starting to produce uh, interviews that are starting to air in some programs, even at news. And we're getting ready to start producing the Full Circle Show, which airs every Friday night about 7 p.m. on KPFA. Right. We learn from professionals in the field as well as former apprentices. We're mentored by everybody in the studio, and our programming and our work is done in a collaborative work environment. What's still to come in the apprenticeship program? I'm excited to be the one who decides what goes in front of the audience. I'm excited to gather and expose the kind of information that inspires the audience to get involved and create change for us all. True. We still have another, oh, maybe 12 months to go. So we've learned so much in these first seven months that we're definitely primed for continuing. And then, as you say, the big fun is taking on the production of a weekly radio program. I want to um, give people 
the, the practical information they need to be part of the apprenticeship program. We're going to be accepting applications all through the month of February, but please don't wait till the last minute. Laura, would you give people the website and a number to call? Yes, it is kpfaapprentice.org, one word, and the number is 848-6767, extension 235. Now, the website should give you a place to download the application itself. We do ask that you consider, can you commit up to 20 hours a week for the next year and a half? If you are interested in radio, if you are interested in broadcast, sound recording, and engineering, uh, we're the place to go. Laura, would you run those contact by again? Sure. It is kbfaapprentice.org. And an number is 848-6767, extension 235. Please check out the website. Please consider being part of Group 43 of the long line of apprentices here at KPFA, making a difference in the world by bringing underrepresented voices to the radio. Give it a thought. Crónicas de la Raza. I'm Brenda Yescas, and this is the calendar of events and happenings for the Bay Area. 
From now till February 26th, the Mexican Museum presents a new exhibition called Fascination with Fauna, the portrayal of animals in pre-Hispanic art. Featuring art from the museum's renowned pre-Hispanic collection, the exhibition will communicate the significance of animals in nature, religion, society, and art to the three cultures from early Mexico, the Nayarit, Colima, Zapotec, Central America, and Peru. With more than 2,000 items in their pre-Hispanic art collection, guests can expect to see some of the finest examples of pre-Hispanic art in the world. The Mexican Museum is located at Fort Mason Center, Building D, between Marina Boulevard and Buchanan Street in San Francisco. For more information, go to mexicanmuseum.org. From now till April 2nd, Studio Grand will be hosting Sunday dance classes on Afro-Peruvian culture. In these workshops, we will be learning about the dance and musical forms of African descendants in the coastal region of Peru. Hosted by dance instructor, educator, and choreographer Carmen Roman, she will take you on a journey of a unique blend of African, Spanish, and indigenous elements. Each class will be held on Sundays from 2.30 to 4.30 at Studio Grand in Oakland, 3234 Grand Avenue. For more information, go to studiograndoakland.org. For Friday, February 18th, Oakland-based The Source Trio uses Afro-Latin rhythm, spoken word in English and Spanish, funk, hip-hop, soul, and jazz to lift and unite the culturally diverse Oakland and Greater Bay Area working class community. Featuring veteran Bay Area artists and activists John Santos in the percussion, Rico Pavón on lyrics and MCing, and Melicio Magdaluyo on saxophone and flute. This is at La Peña Cultural Center, 3105 Shattuck Avenue in Berkeley. Starts at 8.30 p.m. LaPeña.org. For Sunday, February 19th, the 12th annual Bay Area Flamenco Festival presents flamenco dancer Jose Maya, powerhouse gypsy singer Juana de la Pipa, and iconic flamenco singer Enrique El Extremeño for an eclectic night of dance and flamenco singing at the Herbst Theater. 401 Vaness Avenue in San Francisco starts at 7 p.m. For more information on the festival, go to bayareaflamenco.org. Also for Sunday, February 19th, come join a conversation about Honduras and Colombia, models of U.S. control. The U.S. has Centers for Intelligence Gathering, a new school of Americas, bases with great military capacity, ready to invade any country independent of the U.S., such as Venezuela, Ecuador, Cuba, and Bolivia. Presenters talking about this issue will be Alice Loasia of Marcha Patrotica and Diana Bowen, a member of Root Causes and Bay Area Latin American Solidarity Coalition. The talk will be held at Nibel Proctor Library, 6501 Telegraph Avenue in Oakland. For more information, go to BALASC.net. For Thursday, February 23rd, Poets Against War and Racism, Poetas Contra la Guerra y el Racismo, a fundraiser event to support the autonomy of the Zapatista community. The challenge is to reclaim our power of self-determination and live our lives in a community that resists and begins to dream how to govern itself. 
The infinite war that the U.S. started in 2003 added another layer of callous and numbing, distorting our consciousness and our language. Local Bay Area poets include Amira Ali, Rafael Gonzalez, Arnoldo Colibri Hummingbird, and an open mic. The event will be held at the Oakland Omni Commons, 4799 Shattuck Avenue in Oakland, 7 to 9 p.m. For more information, go to omnicommons.org. Also for Thursday, February 23rd, Bay Area Flamenco Festival presents Cante Gitano with flamenco legends Juana de la Pipa, Enrique El Extremeño, in concert with flamenco guitarist Pepe del Morao and Piño Lozada for a night of traditional flamenco rhythms and sounds at the Brava Theater, 2781 24th Street in San Francisco. Starts at 8 p.m. BayAreaFlamenco.org For Friday, February 24th, come join the International Committee for Peace, Justice, and Dignity for a film screening of All Guantanamo is Ours. The documentary by journalist and filmmaker Hernando Calvo Ospina shows the sentiment and perspective of the Cuban people, especially those living in the towns around the U.S. naval base in Guantanamo and their desire for its return. There will be a discussion after the film as well as Cuban music and dance. This is at Eastside Arts Alliance and Cultural Center, 2277 International Boulevard. Starts at 7 p.m. EastsideArtsAlliance.org For Sunday, February 26, join the Villalobos brothers who play a distinctive version of contemporary Mexican music with jazz and classical, along with Bay Area's own Diana Gamero's trio. This is at the Freight and Salvage, 2020 Addison Street in Berkeley. Starts at 7 p.m. TheFreight.org from February 27th through March 30th, marking the grand opening of the expanded Center for Latino Policy Research at the University of California, Berkeley. The center presents an art exhibit by renowned muralist and fine artist Juan Alicia. The CLPR, now entering its 28th year, has expanded and now has a new space for the integration of the arts, interdisciplinary research, and policy. The Poetic Justice Justicia Poetica exhibit will feature more than 14 of Juana Alicia's prints, paintings, and sculpture, a mix of new pieces never exhibited and earlier artworks. There will be an open reception on Friday, March 3rd, from 5 to 8 p.m., and is part of a month-long open house titled Arts in Our Community, Latina Visions for Social Justice. The Center for Latino Policy Research at UC Berkeley is located at 2547 Channing Way. For more information on the exhibit, go to clpr.berkeley.edu. And this has been a list of events, cultura y arte for the Bay Area. If you would like to add your event to the calendar, please email us at larrazachronicles at kpfa.org. Or for more information on our show, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash larrazachronicles. Feliz noches! Thank you.